HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and if you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, that means it's Monday and it's one o'clock here in Brooklyn. Welcome. Each week I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss their paths and motivation. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, Your Head-to-Toe Guide to Ethical Fashion and Non-Toxic Beauty. This week is Fashion Revolution Week, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Ursula de Castro, a pioneer and internationally recognized opinion leader in sustainable fashion. Ursula has always been ahead of the curve. In 1997, she founded From Somewhere, a label designing clothes made entirely from pre-consumer waste, disregarded materials such as surplus and production cutoffs. The label combined sustainable thinking with fashion-forward design, bringing quality and craftsmanship to exquisite rubbish. From Somewhere collaborations included Jigsaw, Tesco, Speedo, and a series of best-selling capsule collections for Topshop. And in 2006, she co-founded the British Fashion Council pioneering initiative Aesthetica, which she curated until 2014. And Aesthetica was London Fashion Week's showcase for labels designing sustainability, ethics, and aesthetics combined. It nurtured new generations of like-minded designers and supported more established brands who were mindful of their supply chain. And then in 2014, with Carrie Summers, she founded Fashion Revolution Day, marking the disaster in Dhaka, Bangladesh on 24th of April 2013, when the Rana Plaza factory collapsed, killing and injuring thousands of workers. Raising public awareness of the continuing social and environmental catastrophes in the global fashion supply chains, Fashion Revolution has become a global campaign with participation in over 85 countries around the world. Welcome, Ursula. Thank you. How are you? 
I'm well. Nice to hear you. Nice to hear you, too. So, it's Fashion Revolution Day. Let's start there. Let's talk about all the things that are happening around the world and how we are getting people to start to think about where my clothes are made from and who made my clothes. Can you talk about when you and Carrie decided to to kind of come up with this idea about starting a revolution? Well, actually, um, the first idea originally was from Carrie. The disaster with Dhaka had just happened, and I think we were all very frustrated. You know, we all knew that this was something that was absolutely avoidable as it was predictable. So Carrie called me, strangely enough, just after having had a bath, and she said, look, you know, we've got to do something. Let's have a revolution. And I said, yes, definitely, let's let's start a revolution. And so that's how it was. You know, it was very much two women who had known each other over the course of the years. We'd both been very much involved in the sustainable fashion movement in different ways. Um, as you quite rightly said, I was a designer and then a curator, and Carrie herself was a designer of the Pachacuti hat, the Petrade hat. And so we kind of brought to the table a team of people that we'd known, that we'd collaborated with over the years. The UK is a very strong fulcrum of sustainability and very much was at the time. There was a big dialogue and quite a lot of really interesting people that had somehow got together to bring about positive change. And so the dream of Fashion Revolution was to somehow continue making those connections and extend them from people such as designers of academia and um, opinion formers and go all the way down to here from the actual garment workers, from the mill dyers, from the costume producers, basically from everyone that works in the fashion supply chain in order to show the public how much time, how much love, how much, you know, uh, how much is involved in the making of the clothes that we wear. And so that was Fashion Revolution. And um, I have to say, we are now Fashion Revolution Week, um, not any longer Fashion Revolution Day, so we go on for a whole week. Um, this year from today, the 24th until the 30th. And um, we are in over 90 countries now, and we've involved, I would say, millions of people in fourth revolution. And when you say that when Carrie called you, that, that you neither one of you were surprised, why was the public so surprised? Why is the public so disconnected from, our, from where our clothes come from that, we, that, it, that, it, that it surprised us or shocked us? I think it's a combination of factors, you know. I think that partly the supply chain um, factories and production having moved from, say, in our case, Europe onto developing countries was very much part of the deal. But this isn't to say that during the Industrial Revolution, fashion was made necessarily around the corner. I mean, fashion's always had a complicated supply chain. I think it's to do with quantity. You know, suddenly people were hit by thousands of t-shirts and thousands of brands and clothes and so on and so forth. And so it almost became easier to think that clothes somehow grew on trees. The interest, the art and the craft 
of masonry clothes was lost. The understanding of quality has been lost. The understanding that it is really people's skills that make the clothes that we wear was lost. It was probably easier just to go and buy that pair of jeans and not really think about where they came from. Definitely. And in fact, I love, did you ever see Jamie Kennedy's school lunches when he was trying to get the, the children to kind of identify carrots and celery? Yes, yes. And so when when Fashion Revolution, like when when Rana Plaza happened, I started to really think about that. And when you guys came out with the Fashion Revolution concept, I thought, yeah, this is it. We actually need people to understand, you know, and as you said earlier, like how long it takes to make something and what kind of skills sets are involved in that and where where did your genes come from anyway? And so how is the how is the revolution and how are these ninety countries kind of sparking those conversations? Do you think that consumers are getting more savvy? Um, I think the consumers are certainly getting more serious and are certainly getting more curious. You know, there is more questions being asked. Um, it's not as easy, I think, for the brands just to say, oh, buy this because it looks good. I think that there's quite a strong group of consumers that are wanting to buy things because they do good as well as looking good. And I think that just as much as with food, where we are beginning to understand and to eat something which is healthy, it's going to be better for us, people begin to have that same um, connection with the food that they wear. And it's not just to do with the chemicals because we wear them on our skin, but the fact that we wash these clothes and chemicals go into the water that we then drink. And overall, a sense of that provenance is important, that knowing who makes our clothes is a vital aspect of actually wearing the clothes. And more and more people are beginning to want to wear clothes that speak also to their sense of principles and their values. And they don't want to know that there are clothes, that they're wearing clothes that are made in exploitation. And they would rather choose clothes that are made in dignity. Absolutely. And so, and because Fashion Revolution, when you first started... It was it was really ingenious because you just use the tools of of our time. So you asked consumers to go to social media to take a snapshot of a label of something that they liked or their favorite garment, and just to tag the company that made it or the the brand, and ask the brand hashtag Who made my clothes? So you really yeah. got consumers to engage directly with brands and to ask the question that everybody should be asking, even if they had never thought of it before. It was kind of it was an easy. It was an easy moment of activism because everybody can take a picture. And actually, when you think about it, I kind of do want to know who made my clothes because, you know, we're globally, fashion is in every single country and we're kind of touched together um, through these fibers that we're wearing. So what was what was the what was the reaction or what were the number of kind of um, engagements the first year compared to last year? Well, the weirdest thing was that when we actually asked that question, we didn't realize that it was going to be so difficult for brands to answer. <laughs> I mean, you know, we ultimately thought, well, you know, <laughs> some of them will, the majority will. What do you mean that they don't know where, you know, who makes their clothes? But the truth is, for brands, this is a very difficult question to ask because transparency is a word that in the fashion industry, frankly, just means, you know, it means something fashionable. It means deceitful. They never thought of it as 
a way to actually make the consumer aware of the kind of, you know, the, the supply chain, the tears in the supply chain. So it was very new at the time. And to be honest with you, when we started Fashion Revolution, there were only a handful of brands that were publishing their first year supply chain. And there were only a handful of brands that could answer the question. Um, in year three, which was last year, we actually started our transparency index, um, whereby we look at what is publicly available in terms of policy and transparency on behalf of the brand. And last year, it still was a pretty lonely panorama, pretty desert. And we're seeing a huge increase this year. So I guess what we are beginning to see is brands engaging, brands beginning to see that movements such as Fashion Revolution are beginning to actually have a grip on the population and that people are demanding more, demanding better, certainly demanding to know. So as a result, uh, this can only increase. I mean, this year we will publish the second edition of the Transparency Index. Our methodology is going to be stronger. We are publishing over 100 brands and the transparency. And we're seeing some real progress. We're still seeing some that have moved one inch from last year. But the response is huge. I would say that, you know, maybe in year one, if we had, you know, just a few brands responding, in year two, maybe we had around 100, 300. And in year four, in year three, sorry, we had over a thousand brands responding. And from those thousand brands, maybe 300 were major big fashion brands that responded. Now, responding to the question, who made my clothes, is not the same as actually shifting your supply chain and, and letting everybody know where these clothes are actually produced. But it is nevertheless a start. Amazing. Okay, I want to hear more about that, and I'm sure our listeners do too. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine, and how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio. I'm your host, Kate Black, and today is Fashion Revolution Day. So I'm joined by Ursula DeCastro, one of the co-founders of Fashion Revolution. 
Orsula, just before the break, you were talking about this new transparency report. Was that when you started, because I'm, I'm fascinated, A, because when you asked consumers to get involved, it didn't actually involve any of their dollars. Their dollars had already been spent. So we have this kind of, we have this ongoing um, commentary in ethical fashion that you should, you know, put your dollars towards things that you support and, um, you know, your your dollar is your vote and, and all of these kind of um, moments where we let consumers believe that their purchasing power has, or their purchasing decisions have power. But Fashion Revolution said, you know what, you've already made the decision and you still have power. So I love the fact that it kind of put it on its ear and it said, you know, you've already made the purchase, but you can still call out your brand and expect more. Did you, did you know that it was going to be so popular with, with users and consumers? Well, no, we didn't know that it was going to be very popular, um, but we knew that there was a lack of understanding so that we assumed that once we highlighted the fact that people actually had no idea where their money was going, that there was going to be interest. Um, as a result of this, we actually published a fanzine, which is called Money, Fashion, Power. You can actually find it on our website if you go www.fashionrevolution.org. This fanzine is called Money, Fashion, Power, and it really explains very clearly via brilliant illustrations and games and commentary and writing where the money goes, you know, where your money goes when you purchase something. There is a big, as you just mentioned, big thing that, you know, um, you know, sustainable brands or brands that produce sustainably um, can be perceived as being too expensive. The reality is, the other way around, is that cheap brands are too cheap. You know, as he allowed the court to suggest you know, how can clothes which are, you know, the material is grown and then it's spun and then the garment is, is sewn and shipped and how could all that be cheaper than a sandwich? So it's just about making people understand. And of course, your money is your purchasing power. We can vote with our wallets. So the understanding is that first of all, we need to have the information. First of all, we really need to know the distribution of the dollar. You know, where does it go? Who gets it? How is it being, you know, is it the garment workers, is it the brand owner? Does it get to the cotton? Does it get to the spinners? And then we can make informed choices as to how we decide as to spend that money. So do you think that um, the fact that consumers have kind of lost touch with the the hand and, and the ability to sew makes makes a difference? Like, do you think that we should be teaching sewing in school so that, that everybody knows how long it takes to make something? Well, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, there should be the option of learning sewing in schools. But I don't know that that's the answer, you know. I think that there are many different ways to find one's own journey and what right for one in terms of understanding ethics and sustainability. And it doesn't necessarily have to start with sewing. I mean, some people can understand it without having to make a t-shirt. I think what is very important is that we convey to the consumer the fact that this is not about having inherited a massive problem. It's about being a part of the solution. And when one wants to be a part of the solution, there are hundreds of ways in which one can do so. 
that'll be loving your clothes and caring for them so that they last a longer time. Maybe mending, you know, maybe looking at ways of repairing, sharing, swapping, looking at clothes that are second hand, potentially maybe investing in something that might seem a little bit more expensive to start with, but that you know their story, you know their history. So your emotional attachment to that piece of clothing is actually stronger. I think that the wonderful thing about this movement is that it's not making sustainability look daunting, nor frightening, nor limiting. It's making it your choice. And choices are exciting because you're in control. I love that. And and the fact that it just invites you to be more mindful. I mean, not everybody, you know, gets anxious or excited about what they're going to wear for the day and lays it all out and becomes really mindful about the outfit. But we can all be mindful about what we, how we engage with it. Because as I say often when I'm giving talks and lectures, like nobody is naked. So we're all involved in this system, whether we like it or not. So I love this idea that in your mind, there's this whole range range of ways that we can be more sustainable from not buying for sure i mean clothing like food affects 100 percent of the population so you know you might want to eat you might not be interested in gourmet food but you still have to eat you might not be interested in fashion but you still have to wear clothes and therefore small changes to your habits related to the clothes that you wear can actually have a massive impact. I love it. And so because it's Fashion Revolution Week now, congratulations for having more mm-hmm. time for people to get involved. How can how can people get involved? How can they get involved individually? And then for people who really love community and want to do community things, how do they find their tribe wherever they live? Let's start with okay, individuals. So- We have lots and lots and lots of ways that people can become involved. So the first suggestion would be to go on our website, www.fashionrevolution.org slash getinvolved, and actually download our Get Involved pack. It might be www.fashionrevolution.resources, but somewhere, if you find it, there is a Get Involved Everyone pack. And that is just so crammed full of information. Otherwise, you can also download our alternative booklet. That's mostly aimed at people that are, you know, that have a strong presence on Instagram or the social media. And again, it highlights loads of ways that you can take to social media, do a love story over a piece of clothing that you love, or share, swap, mend, and so on and so forth. I mean, I think Fashion Revolution does provide enough information and enough creative ways so that the people that love fashion can genuinely feel that they are a part of the movement. But at the same time, it does also cater for those that are less interested, giving them just snippets of information and small ideas that they can carry on you know, every day of their lives and ensure that they're making a difference as well. Great. And you also mentioned that now Fashion Revolution is popped up in 90 countries. So that means that there's 90 country groups of people who are also kind of doing events together. How, how does one find their country group? 
Again, on our website, you know, on our website, there's a list of all of the countries that are involved. Um, all of our country coordinators are volunteers, so we love them to bits. And I take this opportunity to thank them all from the bottom of my heart for being involved, because it's not always easy. So maybe, maybe in some countries there is more, and in other countries there is less. But anyone can start their own fashion revolution event, make it a dinner party or a clothes swap or, you know, an afternoon with friends customizing your clothes. So there's loads of different ways that one can be a fashion revolution. All events are then uploaded onto our website. And, you know, that's how the movement is growing. I love that. Actually, I think that it's a good uh, it's a good opportunity to pull some friends together with some favorite items and and share. You were part of our um, mindful holiday tradition series on Magnifico.com this this past um, holiday season, and you had one of the most kind of beautiful stories because you said in your family you have this um, tradition of gifting presents that belong to each other to each other, and it reminded me of my girlfriends because I have two girlfriends and we we share and gift jewelry to each other so if we have a coveted piece that we know somebody else likes we you know next time we see them we give them that necklace or that bracelet and so it would be really fun to have a dinner party with all of your girlfriends and bring over your treasured pieces and you know kind of swap them and and share them along with your wine and your your stories that's a brilliant idea watch out kate we might make it into one of our resources i I love it okay and then let's also talk about brands because there are brands that listen to this show so you said that the transparency index has now how many brands listed 100 100 so how do brands get involved like how can brands kind of start to share the story about transparency or or like kind of make it easier for consumers to love them more well, let's, let's make a distinction here for starters. I mean, the Transparency Index, we measure the performance of very, very big brands. Um, they're over um, two-point-something billion dollars in turnover, so, you know, it's, it's a very different kettle of fish. All brands can be involved just as the individuals, you know, on our Get Involved pack. So you'll see when, we get, when you get, if, if you get to the website that there is a Get Involved for brands, there is a Get Involved for people, there is a Get Involved for factory workers. There is a get involved for just about everybody that can get involved. So a brand, a small brand, can do anything from actually posting photographs of their garment workers, showing their faces, um, you know, uh, doing something in their, in, as, as a window display, organizing events inside their store, telling the stories of the clothes that they sell. So there's different ways for everybody to become involved. Obviously, you know, it is very different if you are one of these enormous fashion brands because things are a bit more complicated. But we are getting, you know, enough participation. And, you know, we're taking seriously enough that brands are now beginning to look at their supply chain and really genuinely find ways to actually include transparency more and more into their own internal policies. It's true. And I love that because if you can't see it, you can't change it. So, you, exactly. you know, everybody needs to be a little bit clearer about what's going on and how, and who made our clothes. And so to follow along, people can use the hashtag who made my clothes. They can use the hashtag yep. fast rev, right. And see what's happening. Fast and- rev or this year we, we, um, were using, um, fashion revolution. Okay. Fast still works, but yes. So the main hashtags are, um, who made my clothes. Fashion revolution, 
If you happen to be a maker, then you have hashtag I made your clothes. And there is also a sort of a small contingency of people who actually use the hashtag I made my clothes. Because there is, as you were saying, a huge community of people that are beginning to re-embrace these skills and actually start making their clothes again. Amazing. I'm so honored that you joined us today because I know today is a really busy day for you. And I'm really thrilled that you shared Fashion Revolution with our listeners. Hopefully we can add them to to the voice of the revolution. I need to give gratitude to Heritage Radio Network, especially Magnifico Radio Engineer David Tatashore, Metro Jesus for the music and our new researcher Louisa Durkin for making it all happen. You can find and subscribe to Magnifico Radio on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, kindly give us a rating. It helps us rank higher amongst conventional fashion podcasts to push these conversations forward. Want to learn more about ethical fashion and hundreds of other stories? Please go to Magnifico.com and sign up for our newsletter. And if you have any feedback, questions, want to be a sponsor, recommend a guest, please email me at radio at Magnifico.com. Until next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.